Yes, we did. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless. Hello, and welcome back to 50 Stars Plus, representing the U.S. today. I'm Alex Wyckoff. And I'm Nicola Impfeld from Switzerland. Today we have a wonderful, wonderful guest joining us, uh, Al Wise, who has pastored churches in Southern California for over 20 years and served as a Navy chaplain, and who, after moving to Texas, became a hospice chaplain, uh, as well as being active in a local racial understanding and reconciliation group. Welcome, Al, and thank you for agreeing to be on. Well, thank you. It's good to uh, hear your voices again. Guten Tag, Al. <laughs> yeah, guten Tag, Nicola. <laughs> actually, Al, I think with you and I, it's been maybe uh, 10 years, actually. Uh, I think more than that. Uh, you were in high school when I first met you. Yeah. Uh, I, do you know the story, Nicola? I actually don't know the story. Ah, so uh, in high school, I was in theater, and every year for Halloween, we uh, went and participated as the workers, volunteers in this haunted house that uh, Al hosted uh, at his place of employment at the time, which was, uh, I believe it was the, the Toyota Center in Manhattan Beach, right? That's correct. Yeah, Al's the person who convinced me to buy a Toyota in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Moving into our religion topic, uh, a question that I think Nika and I have both wanted to start with is uh, noting that the U.S. is among the most religious nations in the Western world. Uh, and would I ask you, Al, if you have uh, any insights as to why, you know, 69% of U.S. adults say they are religious or grew up religious compared to, say, France at 30%. Or Switzerland at forty-one. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing in America. We are a a, a rather religious nation. Uh, some on the right would say that we're a Christian nation. I think that's certainly uh, not the case. America is not a Christian nation. It's a nation where you're free to be a Christian, and that wasn't always the case. Um, and so people came to America with an expectation of religious freedom. Uh, then later, other people, uh, non-Christians, came to America with that same uh, expectation. So we find ourselves with a real mismatch of, of, uh, uh, of religions and religious traditions, both on the conservative side and the liberal side, both uh, Christian, Jew, uh, Islam, uh, and, and many other groups. Uh, and and so far we've uh, we've made it work. Yeah, I think it's interesting uh, just how big of a role is played in culture. You know, for example, later we'll talk a little about politics. Uh, I remember in 2016 when Hillary Clinton didn't campaign on the Bible Belt. I thought that was an incredible mistake for anyone running for president to make. And, and yet, uh, Hillary Clinton was a, a very spiritual person. Uh, she taught Sunday school. She, uh, uh, she had the credentials had she wanted to uh, campaign in that manner. Uh, but she's also from a tradition where you, generally speaking, don't do that. And so, uh, and so uh, that probably uh, cost her the election. And Al, you are um, obviously uh, religious, and maybe to start with, also, can you 
tell us how you uh, how you found your your way to God um, and what religion means to you in your yeah, it's been a kind of a mixed uh, journey. I, uh, like a lot of kids, I was forced to go to church when I was young. Uh, I rebelled as soon as I was old enough to be allowed to rebel, <laughs> and uh, and left the church because it it uh, the tradition I was in was pretty meaningless. It was dull. It was boring. It didn't have anything uh, that was particularly attractive to me. Um, uh, so I just dropped out. I was just kind of nothing. And, and, uh, but I was also raised in a home that was very abusive. And uh, so you have this kind of contradiction of uh, you need to go to church. You need to be a, a good little Christian boy, uh, but now we're going to beat you. And so when you have those kind of, you know, you kind of reject a lot of society uh, later in life, I found uh, there was a, a different type of faith that could be had that was a personal relationship with Jesus. And so I embraced that and uh, started out in a church called the Church of the Nazarene. Later was in some of the uh, Pentecostal charismatic movements. Uh, currently uh, serve, um, you'll find this interesting, <laughs> Nicola. I, I currently serve in a in a Baptist-leaning, charismatic, non-denominational church. But, mm. but I was asked to minister in a Lutheran church one week a month, and then uh, uh, and then they liked me so much, I now minister in that Lutheran church uh, three weeks a month. So I'm not a Lutheran, but I've, I've got a, a Lutheran church that uh, looks to me for their uh, spiritual food. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. Um, <laughs> you you are good. You also do a lot of stuff online, right? When I I don't oh, a lot of live streams, yeah, yeah. I don't turn on Facebook that often anymore. But when I turn on Facebook, I can be sure to see my friend L Wise on Facebook going live. Yeah, so, I see that every week. Yeah. So yeah. you also try to reach. Do you try to reach reach a, a younger audience or maybe an audience on Facebook who is not that maybe uh, not that into religion or maybe not going often to church or what what's your goal by going live on facebook and uh, talking about religion and your faith well the goal has changed originally i was teaching a life group in our home and then COVID hit and so we decided to take a hiatus from in-home uh teaching but uh so i went online and, and just continued the teaching that we were doing and since then we've gone through the book of hebrews we're currently in the book of Revelation because some of my friends that were uh, in California actually said, hey, if you would teach the book of Revelation, we'll listen. So now I've got uh, gang members in California. <laughs> I've got uh, I've got farmers literally in North Texas that uh, are in their tractors uh, harvesting or planting uh, cotton, listening to the uh, broadcast. I've got people... Uh, New Zealand, uh, Bethlehem, and uh, in uh, Palestine. Uh, so uh, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. It's a small following, but you know, I enjoy teaching. But more than I enjoy teaching, I enjoy learning. And so for me, it's a double win because I get to study and spend time studying, and then I get to uh, to to share that what I've learned with other people. So yeah, that's uh that's really cool. Um... 
I like that a lot. And um, I'm wondering, because my own pastor has experienced this, uh, if you have any issues uh, with reaching uh, younger people, especially millennials and Gen Z and those younger than them. Well, one of the great challenges I have is that I'm old. And so uh, uh, one of the things I've noticed as I've aged is that uh, young people tend to ignore the elderly. And so uh, you're, you know, when you walk down the street, you acknowledge the people that you're either attracted to or uh, you're afraid of. So maybe uh, there's a homeless person and you're kind of afraid of, you know, the crazies going on. Uh, you're going to look at that person, acknowledge them in your thought process, uh, but you're going to pass them by. Then you've got uh, people that you're attracted to. You see a good looking uh, a woman, a good looking man coming your way and you say, oh, wow. And, and so there's an attraction there and there might be a, hey, how you doing? Or as, as Joey would say, how you doing? But when it comes to getting older, uh, people just kind of ignore you because you're no longer a threat, but neither are you attractive. And so one of the things you have to do is you have to demonstrate by the content of your life something that is attractive to younger people. And so that's why I, I have enjoyed mentoring a lot of young pastors because they see something in my life and in my spirituality that they want or that may be missing in, in their lives. And so, uh, but the ageism has to be overcome. And it's, and it's especially difficult in churches because a lot of churches are based on old rituals and old traditions and millennials uh, could care less about your old traditions. Right. Uh, when, you, when you actually look at the numbers, L. Uh, only 47% of U.S. adults say they actively practice their religion. This is down from the 2010 uh, census uh, when it was nearly 60%. Why do you think is religion uh, declining in popularity, especially with young generations? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with the hypocrisy that they see. I mean, it used to be that if, 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 if a pastor was living... Uh, in hypocrisy, then people wouldn't see it because it wasn't broadcast on the evening news. And now you see it. You know, Liberty University used to be uh, the darling of the conservative movement. And then you see, you know, Jerry Falwell Jr., you know, you see his fall from grace. And, and, and now you're seeing more and more. You know, recently we just saw a, a pastor in, in New York, as I'm sure you saw, that was robbed during one of his services. Wow, he was robbed. That's terrible. Yeah, but he was robbed of almost a million dollars in bling. Come on, what's a what's a Christian pastor doing with a million dollars in bling? I mean, it's stupid. And people are looking at that and saying, I don't want any part of that. And that's not what Jesus is about. But that's what uh, people see on the media. And so I'm not blaming the media because the media is going to report what, what's worth reporting. But, but younger people are saying, they're saying, I don't want, I don't want that. I don't want that. And that's why you see the, the, the larger churches that are growing are growing with young people. Our church in, in California grew, it was a dying white church and we, we turned it around. So it was a multi-generation, multicultural, and our youth group had over 150 teenagers. And and sometimes we just didn't have room for everybody. It was crazy. Uh, but that's the kind of problems you want. But you don't see that 
unless you've got something to offer them. Yeah. You know what, what you're saying uh, about the way your church has been able to expand has also been uh, my experience attending my own church here in San Diego. Um, a statistic I came across while researching for this episode uh, was from the Florida Law Review in 2000 uh, that showed that at the time, 87% of American churches were fully segregated, meaning all of their members belonged to a single a single race. Right. And uh, yeah, like uh, a lot of the work that my own church has done has been to expand to all neighborhoods, all races, all beliefs. And I've really seen them explode in membership since they've been doing that. Uh, and I, I think that's actually a kind of an interesting segue too into uh, maybe looking at the holds uh, some of the larger churches might have over declining parts of the population. Namely, I mean, things like mega churches like Joel Olstein and how they are seeing declines, but for many years they've been very popular. Yeah, they really have been. And of course now, Joel is is a uh, you know he inherited a, a, a significant sized church, uh, you know he's got a very charismatic presence to him. Uh, his gospel is, uh, we might say, gospel light. Um, he he's a uh, kind of a feel good in the along the same lines as uh, Norman Vincent Peale was to uh, a generation or two ago in America. Uh, but the other, but when you look at mega churches, which is you know generally defined as churches, of, uh, you know above two or three thousand people uh, in attendance, and you see those churches are growing largely with with um, uh, with younger people. I, the church that we attend now started three years ago, and it's now numbering uh, probably twelve hundred people, and. Uh, I would say that the vast majority and, uh, you know, at least 60% are young couples uh, that are having children. And so they were younger, they're having children. Um, you know, there's a great representation of college age youth. So, uh, you know, you got to have something to offer and, and the dead traditions of the past uh, just don't hack it. Right. Um, maybe talking a little bit about differences in religion, uh, America, Switzerland. When I lived in the United States, I got asked regularly about my beliefs. And personally, I'm an agnostic, meaning I don't believe in the Bible, but I also don't claim that I know that there is no God. Um, I guess my question to you is, Alan, also obviously that affects politics, right? Because I, I got asked this question, doesn't matter at dating, at work. Uh, and in Switzerland, you don't get asked these questions, especially by young people. It's not a subject. So I guess my question to you is, uh, Al, as a believer of the Bible and somebody who teaches it, and it's a big part in your life, right? Why, yes. do, you believe it's, why do you believe it is so important and such a big topic in daily life that people ask other people about their beliefs? Well, I, I think the Bible speaks for itself. It's, it's, uh, it, it's written, um, it, you know, generationally. You've got the Old Testament. You've got the New Testament. Uh, there's confirmations of uh, archaeological uh, facts that you can see that this is not just something 
that that a lot of uh, naysayers will say I, it was just quote unquote written by men. Uh, you can see that it's validated in so many different ways. Uh, the interesting thing is that when, as a believer, uh, we draw great strength and comfort from the scriptures, as well as a mission statement. We look at the mission statement of Jesus as found in Acts chapter 4, and you can see that he's he's all about reaching to the poor, and he's reaching to the disenfranchised and the sick, and those that are in different types of prisons, whether it's a physical prison, a mental prison, uh, a prison of addiction. You can see that Jesus is, is a people person, and of course, then it, it's his story. It's the, you know, the, it's the regenerative story of, of paradise from generation to, uh, from Genesis to Revelation. And, and, and the key figure in the whole book is, is Jesus. So um, there are, you know, hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament. And then you have Jesus dying for the sins of of, of uh, dying for crimes that he didn't commit on a cross that, uh, um, you know, he died for your sins, for my sins. And you can, the nice thing is in America, you can believe that or you can not believe it doesn't, doesn't make a difference. But to me, it doesn't make it any less true. And the most important thing, of course, that he, he rose from the dead. And so that, that kind of proves something about him. That's nothing that uh, nobody else has claimed. So, so uh, I believe it and I teach it, and uh, and it's become a huge, integral part of my life. Speaking of uh, teaching the Bible, um, something that I hear from a lot of young people, and uh, it's some, a thought I've had myself, is uh, contradictions in a number, not just in the Bible, in a number of religious books. Uh, how do you approach that? You know, for example, in the Old Testament, I believe they... Say if you wear um, clothes of different cloth, you can be stoned. And uh, a lot of people, you know, have trouble reconciling those kinds of passages with some of the stuff you see Jesus talking about. Right. And one of the things you have to look at is the Old Testament is a is a um, precursor, obviously, to the New Covenant. So you have an Old Covenant, you have a New Covenant. The old covenant is in place like a uh, um, kind of like a guardian for a child until that child grows up. But once the child grows up, they don't need a guardian anymore. And so uh, we find in the New Testament that the Old Testament law, and so what you're what you're talking about, Alex, is the law and how the law has been interpreted that you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. And what Jesus has come out and said is, hey, there is a new law, and that law is a new commandment that I give you. It's called the law of love. It says love one another, love your neighbor as yourself. The apostle Paul goes on, and, and other apostles, uh, in the book of Hebrews, we find the words uh, that the law has been canceled, it's been fulfilled, it's been abolished. All these very, very strong words that basically say, look, you don't have to look to the Old Testament. Uh, you don't have to try to earn your way into God's grace anymore, that you now find your way through Jesus Christ. Uh, I, like, I like the way you've described that. That is a very compelling story. And uh, moving from that story... Um, 
something I, I think we, we've been talking about uh, in preparation for this episode and something you and I um, have talked about a little as well is uh, how uh, part of this disconnect, you know, part of the disconnect of some people becoming more secular in the U.S. or some people seeing contradictions in faith or hypocrisy in people who purport to be of faith. I think a lot of what we've seen there has happened in politics. Um, for example, you know, 59% of voters who frequently attend religious services voted for Donald Trump in 2020. And among white Christians specifically, it's 70%. Uh, but here's a guy, right, who is coming out and saying, I'm the chosen one, me. One of the interesting things is that, uh, you know, when, when Trump came out and said some of those stuff, he can't help himself. And, and the reason he can't help himself is because of, of this uh, extreme narcissism. One of the things that he said, of course, is, you know, I alone can do it. I alone. I mean, he wants everyone to put their faith in him. So he becomes a Messiah figure, um, at least to some people, that he's going to save America. And uh, by saving America, when you look at that deeper, it has really uh, geopolitical and racial overtones. So is he, what part of America is he going to save? Let's make America great again. Okay, so when was America great? Before civil rights, when there were different drinking fountains and, and different places on a bus where you could sit? Was that when America was great? Uh, back during slavery? In other words, uh, you know, what is he trying to accomplish with statements like that? And and so uh, it is concerning, very concerning to see what's happening in America today based on politics and religion. Al, you are um, uh, from uh, a very conservative state, from Texas, right? 66% um, in the district of Lubbock, where you live, voted for Donald Trump in 2016. You voted uh, conservative all your life until 2020 when you voted for Joe Biden. We did an interview um, for the media company I work for in Switzerland, for Blick. And I asked you basically because Joe Biden is uh, for abortion. He's pro-life. Yes. Uh, obviously, excuse me, he's pro-choice. Uh, and Donald Trump obviously is for pro-life. Uh, and this must be a very important topic for you as a believer of the Bible. And as I remember, you are not for abortion. Nevertheless, though, you voted for Joe Biden, somebody who supports abortion. How? What? Explain us, how were you able to vote for somebody that's so contradicting to what you believe? That's a great question, Nicola. And the answer is that I'm not a one-issue voter. And what has happened in America evangelical Christianity is that they have become one-issue voters. You are either pro-abortion uh, or anti-abortion. You're either, uh, uh, you know, with us or against us. And so what we were seeing is that these politicians are galvanizing the Christian vote based on that single issue. And so uh, it's very sad because, uh, as 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 you know, I I believe that Trump does not believe in democracy. 
and democracy is important to me. Uh, I believe in our country. I believe in democracy. I believe in our constitution. And so I don't believe that he believes in those things. Uh, he will use different things to stay in power and stay in control at any cost. And that's why you come out with this uh, America first agenda. And when, when people ask me, I remember uh, a lady in my church years and years ago asked me, she said, well, don't you believe in America first? And I mean, this is back in the 1990s. So this is before all of this current division. And I told the lady, I said, no, I don't. I don't. She said, what? You don't? I said, no. I said, I believe that Jesus is, is the savior of the world, not just the savior of America. So we can't, you know, just build these walls and 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 make and and pretend that we're just the only light of the world. No, Jesus is the light of the world. Now, these days when I hear the words America first, um, I I really think back as a student of history to to another phrase that, that concerned me greatly, uh, and that's Deutschland über alles, uh, which of course was basically the same thing, uh, but this time it was in uh, Nazi Germany. So I think it's very, very important that we support candidates that believe in democracy and don't believe in fascism. And that overrode anything that I believe personally about abortion. Yeah, that really, what you're saying now harkens, I think, to something I saw as I first started learning about politics um, uh, just a couple years before you met me, you know, uh, 2008, when we had uh, Barack Obama running against John McCain. Uh, I remember quite a bit about that election, specifically that John McCain, you know, came off as a very compassionate individual, um, somebody, uh, somebody in his, one of his rallies, uh, criticized Obama, uh, said some bigoted comment calling him uh, a Muslim. Uh, obviously, you know, that was a very racist comment, but also he's not a Muslim. Uh, Barack Obama is a Christian. And John McCain corrected this person and he said, no, no, uh, Obama is a man of faith just like me. But he was unpopular for that. He got booed at his own rally for that. And later he was forced to take on someone more extreme. Uh, in the form of Sarah Palin as his, uh, as his vice presidential pick. And so I think it's been interesting to see that evolution. Uh, and also it makes me wonder, uh, was it, there was definitely an element of politicians pushing this, but was there also demand from some parts of the populace for this level of extremism? Well, that's a great question. And I, and if you were to ask me, uh, how I would best describe myself. I, of course, I would say that I'm a very independent voter. And of course, I came from a very uh, uh, democratic area, uh, you know, in California, where Maxine Waters was my congressional representative. Uh, now I'm in a state where Ted Cruz is my senator. Um, and so I'm from, you know, I, but I consider myself a, a very independent person. But if I had to describe myself in terms of party, I would say I was a John McCain Republican. And uh, I, I just think he's one of the last great statesmen 
I mean, we used to have statesmen. I mean, Tip O'Neill was a statesman. Both sides of the aisle had their statesmen that could reach across the aisle and say, let me work with you for the betterment of America, the betterment of, of uh, our people. Uh, let's work together to, to help the poor, to feed the, you know, the hungry or to heal the sick. You just, just don't see that anymore. You know, Al, in American politics, um, the what's what's very um, let's say special for people in Switzerland when they hear American politicians after a speech saying "God bless America," right? Nobody in Switzerland, no Swiss politician, uh, reference uh, makes a reference to God when they finish a speech. That maybe also shows that religion plays uh, a smaller role in, in Swiss politics. Um, my question to you is: uh, No matter if the president is Democrat or Republican, uh, they always um, at least claim that they're uh, a believer of God. They all, always um, show themselves in churches, going to church services. They say that they're very religious. Do you believe it would be possible in the future for an American president um, to be elected when he's not a believer in God? And would you and would you consider voting for somebody who's not a believer in God for the presidency if you like? Uh, his policies other than that well that wow what a what a interesting question that is because we really need to ask ourselves if we didn't already be, uh, elect somebody that doesn't believe in god uh because when you ask people are they uh you know are they a believer or do they have a deep faith um are we just talking about christians or are we talking about muslims and jews as well one of the things that President Trump said when he was asked over and over again, you know, are you a, a Christian? He said, he said, I'm a proud Presbyterian. So he would identify with a sect, but then again, he never went to church unless the cameras were on. Uh, he wasn't uh, raised in that way. He just, that's not who he was and is. Uh, you still don't see him going to church. Uh, and that's not necessarily the definition of a Christian. I understand that, but it is an indication of somebody that has a deep-seated faith. So you may not agree with Joe Biden's Catholicism, but the fact is he goes to church uh, almost every week, uh, whether the cameras are on or not, and he really doesn't care whether you're watching because he didn't go there for you. He went there because he wants to uh, be enriched spiritually and, and so that's, that's part of his deep-seated faith system. Would I ever vote for somebody that said they didn't believe in God, period? I would, I would lean towards no. I would lean towards no. However, uh, it depends on who they're uh, running against. Now, I've got a, a real deep issue, and I've taught on this the last couple of weeks on, in, my, uh, in my Revelation study, with uh, the seven mountain mandate, this extreme alt-right view of Christianity where, where, where Christians supposedly are going to be taking over uh, our nation in every area. And the, there, is a, there is a wing of the alt-right Christian movement that says that, um, that, that only Christian believers should have parts in things like uh, religion, education, media, uh, entertainment, business, government, that, 
that instead of Christianity influencing these things, that Christianity should control these things. And I have a real problem with that. Ooh, yeah, that's that one is definitely a, a heavier trend here. Um, uh, while researching for this episode, actually, um, I came across a lot of discrimination statistics that speak to what you're saying now. Uh, for example, the Council for American Islamic Relations reported a 9% increase in hate crimes against Muslims since 2020. Uh, it's even more stark for Jewish Americans, though, uh, who reported in that same time span a 61% increase in, uh, in hate crimes. And, you know, we've got a lot of, uh, a lot of people who practice discrimination who also lead churches. For example, uh, Thomas Robb, the national director of the Ku Klux Klan in the United States, holds almost all of his local Klan meetings in a church that uh, I believe he owns uh, out in Arkansas. And so that's very, it's very striking what you're saying. And uh, I, I get a little nervous, admittedly, uh, seeing some of what the alt-right has been saying in the last few years. Yeah, there are alt-right uh, conservative churches that, uh, by, by definition of a church, uh, have the right to say who their membership is. And if they say our membership are only white people and and you know, they have, they have a right, uh, but, you know, I mean, to define themselves like that. We don't, we don't get involved in defining a religion. So if somebody comes up with a new religion, well, they have the right to define that for themselves. That's what partially America is about. Unfortunately, these, these uh, right-wing groups are defining themselves in such a way as to uh, use Christianity. And they don't use the teaching of Jesus. They use the labels of Jesus. They use the labels of Christian and Christianity and somehow justify their evil. And, and uh, that should be so spoken out against. It should be so uh, condemned by all of, of Christianity, both on the left and the right, so that these people are ashamed to show their ugly faces. I absolutely agree with you there, Al. Uh, we are just about to run out of time, but uh, I'd like to close uh, with uh, maybe a slightly lighter question. Uh, you obviously are a man of considerable faith, and you have studied the Bible extensively. Do you have a favorite passage? And if so, uh, would you mind sharing what the passage means to you? <laughs> well... <clears throat> That is a good question. I uh, one of the things that I, I I love about the scripture is how it speaks to each individual, and and it may mean something different to you than it than it means to me. But I think probably the passage that I first learned uh, when I actually became a Christian was Philippians chapter four. And Philippians chapter four is is, is uh, the apostle Paul is writing, and he is simply saying to people, don't don't be concerned, don't overthink things. You've got to trust in God. And uh, and and the first scripture I ever mentioned, Alex, or ever uh, excuse me, I ever uh, uh, memorized 
was Philippians 4.4. And this is what it says. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, with petitions and for thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And as a, as a kid that grew up in uh, turmoil and in a very abusive home, uh, just to have uh, the peace of God in my life, uh, the love of God, uh, meant the world to me. And then I look back at ver that verse 5 where it says, let your gentleness be known to everybody. And in this day and age of religious and political divisiveness, I, I simply ask the question, where is the gentleness? Where is the gentleness in uh, condemning people in such uh, radical and irrational ways. It's one thing to be disagree. Uh, you disagree with somebody. Okay, great. Uh, but let's not be disagreeable. Let's have wonderful discussions. Let's be statesmen. Uh, let's be Christians in the in, in, along the lines of Jesus, and not the lines of these these hate mongers. We could need more gentleness. I agree. Thanks so much, Al, for sharing this, and thanks for sharing your perspective. Uh, we really appreciate it. My great pleasure. All right, so that was Al, who we just had on, Al Wise, a religious leader in Texas. Uh, wow, that was a really great conversation. Uh, I was floored, honestly, by the wisdom in some of his answers. Uh, kind of reminds me of a story from a couple of years ago. Um, I was I was chatting with Al uh, maybe two three years ago, and I, I jokingly said to him uh, that he should run for president. Uh, to which he did not like that suggestion. Uh, okay. I, I assume it would be quite miserable, obviously, to be president. So uh, I think I'd rather he lives a happy life. But we do need someone with that level of compassion, at least. Yeah, he's yes, I agree. He's a very wise guy. Right. Yeah. He, I mean, it's literally in the name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <really. laughs> uh, yes. Um, no, I really enjoyed it. Yes. Uh, he's uh, obviously we, we I don't I do not share this the belief uh, in the Bible that uh, that he has and teaches, but it's uh, interesting. And what I like about um, somebody like him, someone like him is that he's uh, very common sense. Right. You can have a conversation with him. And I feel like my experience, at least in America, you cannot have a conversation as somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible with somebody who does all the time. You, you know what I mean, Alex? Yeah, and uh, to your point on that, I, I feel like I've improved my own discourse partially because of Al. Like uh, during the Trump era, he would post a lot of stuff on Facebook criticizing Trump. I would occasionally comment on it, get into an argument or two with other people who commented. And Al really helped me like, level out some of the passion that was coming out of me and be a little more compassionate towards the people I was having a discussion with. Yeah, yeah. You actually, Alex, come from a quite uh, um, religious family. Do you want to share a little bit of your story um, and how you, uh, how your uh, 
you know, in not I wanted to say infected. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, my English. Uh, it's late here in Switzerland. Uh, what 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 your role with religion is? What 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 role it plays in your life? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, well, like my immediate family actually was not terribly religious growing up. Uh, my dad really liked to go to church um, because he was really big into gospel type music. Uh, so he would attend church on holidays to get that. Um, and I guess, yeah, I, I was quite Christian myself somehow growing up. I, I know I did attend a couple of Bible camps. I went to an acting camp that was Catholic dominated. And so like at lunch, for example, I couldn't even eat a ham and cheese sandwich because that's antithetical to the rules of Catholicism. Uh, but I, I guess religion didn't actually get bigger in my life uh, until I was an adult. You know, my family is very conservative, but in terms of church attendance, I think it's a select number of family members. Like both my brothers are pretty Christian. Uh, one of them is very Christian. Uh, I've got a cousin who uh, is getting a PhD in theology. Um, he's a pretty religious. Uh, and obviously, I mean, he's, he's going to work for the church for the rest of his life. Uh, so it has played a role, but I would say it's more as an adult because uh, I fell off of religion, you know, same as what happened to Al in a lot of ways. I I didn't, I felt what I was being taught was empty. So I fell off for many years. And then it wasn't until I was an adult in San Diego that I started attending a church again at all. Mm, okay. For me, I never really fell off uh, because I never really got into it. My parents sent me um, to religious school uh, and uh, well, I, I had some lessons, uh, the usual stuff that kids get here in Switzerland, but I just didn't grow up in a religious family. My parents never really attended church except for, um, you know, funerals or uh, weddings. And uh, my father actually always wants to go uh, on, on Christmas and on uh, Easter, but you know, that's a little bit the typical Swiss guy who is on paper religious, but doesn't attend church. But then when Christmas comes around, he wants to go to church and all of a sudden he's very religious. So uh, I never really, I never really got, uh, you know, I never really, I never really got, got the whole talk about the Bible. Um, for me personally, always sounded a little bit like a fairy tale. Um, uh, I don't want to be disrespectful about it. And I obviously respect everybody who believes in it, um, but I just never, um, understood the book, the may, how many, how maybe other people understand the book on that level. Yeah, um, I think it's a challenging, like, religion in general is challenging to approach. Uh, like, I read the Quran um, a couple years ago for the first time, and uh, it was, you know, every bit as confusing as the Bible can be. Uh, all these different things they want to put into it. So I understand that it can be very hard to approach for many people. Right, right. Do you believe, Alex, if I may ask you, do you believe in the Bible uh, as it is, like the story that it teaches, uh, every word, every every little story in it, or do you just believe, you know, the whole picture of it? Yeah, I, I don't believe in the stories. I don't take it literally. Um, I am of the personal opinion that most of it is metaphors or just you know, tall tales to help provide lessons. Um, and I think that's, wouldn't that be better too, right? Like real life is always messy and 
if those stories actually happened, they would have been different than they're presented in the Bible. So I would actually think it, it's better uh, that they're not literal. Though actually, uh, quick side note on that, I came across something really cool uh, doing some research for a different project the other day. Uh, do you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible? I do not, no. So basically, uh, it's this story of this this big city that's it's like the, the Las Vegas of the ancients. Hmm. Uh, and God didn't like it, so he turned it and all the people in it to salt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and... Um, you know, recently, actually, some archaeologists have been digging around the area where uh, Sodom supposedly was, and <laughs> they found evidence that there was a city that got hit by a meteor and destroyed. Wow. Uh, and they think this was likely the uh, inspiration behind the Sodom and Gomorrah story. Oh, so the meteor was the salt? I, I guess. Okay. And obviously, you know, this is a mythical tale, so like turning the whole city to salt is more uh, more godlike. Right, right. Uh, but then in real life, that's kind of crazy, you know, if a meteor smacked into this city and obliterated it. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a whole different level. Alex, uh, I asked uh, Al the question, I want to ask it to you too, because you're somebody who wants to go into politics and uh, you're... One of your dreams is uh, to potentially be a U.S. president someday. So do you believe it is possible in the future with uh, obviously the trend that younger generations are not attending church that often anymore, that you actually can be somebody who says that you don't take the Bible literally, uh, literally and, uh, and uh, maybe have a different approach to your belief and actually get elected? Because right now, I guess you agree that would be impossible to be in the White House saying something like that. Yeah, it's impossible right now, but I do see it in the future. And we discussed with Al that secularism, or I guess uh, separating from religion, is really popular now. I mean, in just 10, 12 years, we've seen an almost 15% drop in people who practice their religion. Uh, imagine the direction that keeps going in, especially with some of the trends we're seeing now, like the evangelical church uh, supporting Trump so hard and... Uh, this whole attack on abortion rights, uh, especially in light of the fact, actually, that statistically keeping it legal reduces the number more than banning it does. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll save that for the abortion episode we have this season. Um, still, yeah, I, I think 20, 30 years from now, it won't be an issue. Uh, there will still be a lot of religious stuff, but uh, people will be able to run as atheists in maybe th 30 years, I would say. And do you believe that one of the former presidents, maybe uh, not way, not too way back, but in the in the lay, in the couple uh, years, uh, you know, from the twenty from the two thousands, was not religious and had to pretend to be religious in order to get elected? I think Trump definitely pretended to be religious. I don't think he was religious at all. Yeah. Uh, others is hard to say. Obama never struck people as that religious, but. Uh, when I read his book, Audacity of Hope, from 2004, yeah. uh, I found it to be very religious. Um, he actually, you know, he came out in favor of gay marriage uh, during his presidency, but he was opposed to it in 2004 on a religious basis. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's something a lot of people don't know about him. Yeah. So I, I think most presidents have actually, at least in the last few cycles, have genuinely been Christian in some form or another. 
definitely not Trump. Um, probably not Nixon. Reagan, uh, I could go back and forth on it. Bill Clinton, hard to say, but I do think he's religious. Mm. Yeah, what you just said about Obama not being in favor for gay marriage, but then evolving, going with the time and uh, changing his mind. Maybe that's also a way forward for the church to stay relevant and to stay in time, right? To go with time and to actually adapt maybe, and maybe let's say make compromises uh, on their side. Uh, or what, how do you see that? Yeah, I think that is going to have to happen. You know, Catholicism has already done it or started to. The current Pope is very unpopular with some conservative Catholics because of the progressive lean that he's embraced. Um, and like a lot of the churches I see that continue to do well, churches like Owl's Church or my own church, uh, they're the ones who are embracing a more progressive message uh, showing that they can evolve with the times and that uh, some traditions are better left in the past. Mm. Yeah. Well, we could talk about uh, this topic and religion for a very long time, but uh, I would say let's move on to the headlines. Oh, yeah, our headline game. Let's do it. The headline game. Alex, I have my first one uh, this week and it is uh, a sports one uh, because some great stuff has happened in the past weeks. Juan Soto trade makes Padres true World Series contenders in 2022 and beyond. Ooh, I like that one. It's probably I mean, hard for you, like watching the trade deadline a couple of weeks ago and seeing the Padres completely winning it uh, and your Giants getting smacked. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, it's not that hard. The Giants, like, like I said, uh, I've said many times, in a single decade, they took three World Series. Uh, and that was within my college lifetime. I was in college for um, at least one of those, uh, I do believe, or a, a high school about to enter college. So... I got to have a great time. Um, uh, they they are allowed to suck for the next 15, 20 years, as far as I'm concerned. The Padres are the ones who actually need a break. Yeah, I mean, they never won the World Series, and it would be great for the city of San Diego. And, uh, you know, they don't have really a sports team, sports team besides uh, the San Diego Padres. So maybe that can also help, you know, getting other sports team into town and maybe fuel the enthusiasm about it. Yeah. Yeah, um, I guess uh, I'll go with my next headline. Um, oh, this is this is kind of fun. Uh, this one's from Market Watch. Uh, oh. Lost money from four point five million dollar crypto wallets exploit. Here's what you should do. I guess it's an <laughs> advice article about crypto. Yeah. Okay. Well. Um, 4.5 million, it says. I don't know how many people lose 4.5 million. I mean, you have to be in a pretty good uh, position to lose so much money, right? Yeah, right. But like, I, I think that is uh, that is something that people are realizing right now is that crypto is not like a magic wand to get rich. Yeah, they have to learn it the hard way. Do you trade cryptos, Alex? Um, a little bit. I'm cautious. A lot of people treat it like it's a a second stock market, but it really isn't. Mm. Um, like there is some degree of money to be made on it, but I think blockchain technology has a completely different and better purpose. Maybe mm. we should have a whole episode about that at some point. 
Yes, that would be would be interesting. We can have an interesting guest on. I actually I'm into the crypto space uh, since uh, 2017. My friend Philip, you know him, Alex, uh, told me about it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, because I have common sense, I I sold all the time when I had some winnings, so I never got very rich. Right now, it doesn't look that good. But with everything, you need some patience, and it might come back. Uh, I go with my second headline. Uh, parts of Great Barrier Reef record uh, record highest amount of coral in 36 years. Oh, that's great. That's lovely to hear. Amazing news, right? We always The Great Barrier Reef is always in the news for the bleach that happens uh, uh, every spring. And finally, I found a good report uh, from the Great Barrier Reef. They actually say uh, that they've never seen something yeah, in the last 36 years. Right, and it's a rare piece of good news for the world famous reef, which in March underwent its sixth mass bleaching event. So, uh, there's some hope, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, um, here's my next headline. This one's interesting. Uh, the White House Situation Room is getting a makeover from Politico. <laughs> well, what did Trump do to the White House, to the Situation Room, that it needs to make? <laughs> no, it's actually, you know what it is? I think an issue with government is it takes too long to update stuff. Like, here's something people don't know. Um, a lot of government agencies, for their statistical analysis, still use this outdated program called Stata, which I consider the worst data program ever to exist. I despise them. Hmm. Uh, and on top of them being terrible and hard to use, it costs money to subscribe. So our government pays money every year to this company to use Stata. But you know what they could do, that'd be better, is if they upgraded, they could use R or R Studio, which is not only a better program, it's free. Mm. Okay, you mean the, uh, which company is giving out that? Um, is it, I'm pretty sure it's its own company, is it not? R Studio? R Studio? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's by the developer is our studio, so it is his own company. Oh, all right, all right, yes. Well, the Situation Room, for everybody who doesn't know it, that's the room uh, with, uh, with a large table where, you know, for example, the famous picture of Obama when they killed Osama bin Laden, he was sitting in the Situation Room. So, uh, yeah. Very yeah. Didn't Joe Biden just, uh, just take out the current leader of Al-Qaeda too? Yeah, he did a couple of weeks ago. That was a big story too, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he was dancing in the White House about that. He's like, yes, yeah, this well, will boost my election. I, actually, about that, uh, I saw a video, Alex. They said, isn't it weird to claim that this killing of this Al-Qaeda leader is a win for Joe Biden? Because if you think about it, um, the question in this video was basically an, uh, an ethical question. We call it a win for Joe Biden. But he killed somebody without this guy getting a fair trial, right? And this is very important in a Western country, such as America and Switzerland, that when somebody is doing something bad, uh, something terrible, uh, you get a trial and you get convicted. Um, so he was talking about the ethical question, um, you know, is it okay to like celebrate? Actually, when I was in grad school, one of my uh, professors, um, Vice Admiral Robert Thomas, he, he taught me a little bit about this. Um, uh, specifically, he talked about how Obama did something similar. He killed um, a, a, a religious leader for the for the violent extremists, uh, Al Alaki, mm -hmm. uh, who was. This was a more 
morally gray question because Alalaki was originally a U.S. citizen before he defected to uh, terrorist organizations. Right. Um, so that's you know that's really interesting uh, because it raises the ethical question. Yes, he's a terrorist and he is responsible for American deaths, but he was an American citizen and we still blew him up by drone strike. Did he deserve a fair trial or not? Right. Yeah, and I think everybody maybe uh, has to think about it and maybe also don't find the question. I myself didn't find the, a question because you can say no, right? Um, but then on the other hand, there's also the argument, well, it's not possible to bring him out alive, right? Out of, for example, this Al-Qaeda guy living in Kabul, uh, in the middle of the capital city in Afghanistan, you will not bring, bring, bring him out there alive. So, uh, but then you can also not really say yes, in my opinion, because if you do that, if you say yes, um, this killing is uh, totally ethically okay, then you basically say Joe Biden is God because he can decide over life and death, which should be the case. Yeah, I mean, in the US, we call this the imperial presidency, how the president has the position of the president has just grown more powerful with each new president. Each one pushes the limits a little further. And Joe Biden has kind of reined in, reined in a little bit. Um, but, you know, Obama, Trump, everyone before them. Yeah, the president, I think, is ultimately too powerful. That's way too much authority for a single person. And I do think we should maybe restrict the president more in, in coming years. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I actually, something I'd like to do is ask a couple questions that we'll post on our social media. Right. And we'd love to hear y'all's answers. Uh, find it on our story or on our grid and uh, DM us. Uh, tell us what you think. Uh, first question I've got, um, I actually came up with this question while we were just talking. Uh, I had I pre-prepared some different questions, but I won't ask this one. What do all of you think about what we were just talking about with the killing of terrorist leaders? Is that something we should celebrate should these people first be captured and given a fair trial? Is that possible? My question would be uh, to the audience uh, about what we just talked about with uh, with Al Weiss. Um, how do they see religion in a political, political uh, means? Do you actually base your decisions um, for who you vote for, partly at least, on religion or not at all? To answer those questions, just reply to our story or DM us straight from our Instagram grid. Uh, you can find us uh, on all platforms, uh, Instagram, uh, Spotify, etc. cetera, uh, at 50 stars plus, five zero S-T-A-R-S-P-L-U-S. All right, thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. Have a good one. See you soon. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless you.